The Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation. Know the difference. Now, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News. A big jobs number, debt ceiling deal, and the rally continues. Welcome to Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Glad you are here in the next hour. Well, let's see. We're going to talk about the psychology of spending in retirement. Are you a glass half empty or a glass half full person? Yeah, all of a sudden you're retired and you start thinking about the money. So we're going to talk about that. Ask Annex is on the way. Toward the end of the show, we're going to talk about lifestyle creep, the more money, more problems kind of a deal that happens from time to time. I'm Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky is our chief investment officer. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Danny. Well, I got to tell you, Friday, a little after 730 is when that big jobs number came in. It was a big, big number, not expected. What does that do to any kind of Fed expectation? Well, I, I think it's, you know, it's part and parcel. The Fed has said they're going to be more data dependent, and we got mixed results uh, throughout the week. For example, we had a manufacturing PMI a couple of days ago, and that was well below expectations. The manufacturing economy is in recession uh, relative to the service sector, which is, in the sense, good for the United States, since the bulk of GDP in the U.S. is driven from that. And that's manifest in that jobs report. The U.S. economy added over 300,000 jobs well ahead of expectations. There are also upward revisions to the two prior months. Uh, wage growth came in at 4.3% year over year, which is a little weaker than expected. So the Fed would probably like that. Uh, but basically, the labor market remains strong. And as long as people have a job, uh, they tend to spend. We also saw in the JOLTS report earlier this week that the number of job openings actually increased uh, this month, the second highest level in the last year at 10.1 million job openings. So the job market remains very strong, and it's certainly something that will factor into the Fed's uh, decision-making in June. You know, and for what it's worth, the ADP number came in, I believe, on Thursday, right? And again, another bump there. Right. It was a strong number as well. So the U.S. economy remains in, on solid footing. Um, inflation still remains persistent. I saw one thing that was very interesting is when you compare a mortgage payment to a rental payment, uh, Most in most cities, with the exception of four, it's significantly more expensive to own than it is to rent, which is one of the reasons why we believe in, inflation will be persistent because rental, owner equivalent rent is th- over 30% of CPI. Months ago, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell said that there probably was going to be some short-term pain in employment in in, in the battle against inflation. We, we haven't seen that at all. That's one data point. Then, then we're talking about manufacturing PMI. Well, you know, Jerome Powell was, you know, he expected to inflict some pain because he expected that as the Fed raised rates, the economy would weaken and perhaps falter. And, and while we have seen, you know, some slowing in wage pressures, we've seen some slowing in housing price advances, the effects have not really been that significant yet, which causes many to believe the Fed is not done hiking and certainly won't be cutting rates throughout the balance of the year unless something breaks. Should we be troubled by the fact that more than 100% of SPX market cap gains this year have been driven by just seven stocks? Well, if you own them, you're not troubled at all. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Uh, but I mean, you know, talk about know, a tent pole, right? Well, yeah, but that, you know, over concentration and, and performance from a select few stocks is, is factually fairly normal. 
but what I think people need to pay attention to, and when they look at their statements, they're going to see that the average stock in the month of May was actually down 4%, even though the, the NASDAQ was up 8%. So don't expect an 8% return on your accounts, account statement. And many of those companies that have advanced so dramatically are now very richly priced. So unless the market starts to broaden out, uh, my feeling is that the likelihood of a near-term pullback is likely. One of the bigger stories from a month or so ago was the banking sector. What's the latest with that? Because it seems to have disappeared. Well, the banking thing was kind of manufactured by poor management. Several banks got in trouble because interest rates rose dramatically and they weren't positioned for it. Normally, when you have a problem in banks, it's with credit. and We haven't seen that yet. Um, obviously, banks are now a little bit less reluctant to loan. Uh, we know liquidity is the, the lifeblood of an economy. And to the degree that banks are less willing to, to, to lend out to potential, you know, to small businesses and the rest, that could put a downward pressure on the economy. But, but the banking sector has been reasonably quiet recently. I thought the FDIC and the Treasury Department did a nice job of, of cleaning up that mess. But I think there are some you know things that need to be done over time. Uh, but right now, the banking sector seems to be okay. We're running a little bit late and need to head to a break. So we're going to talk about, is, is there a rally that's going on right now? We're absolutely in a okay. rally. Let's uh, take a pause on that, and we will talk about that a little bit. There is a rally going on. We're going to talk to Derek Felsky, our chief investment officer, about that. Folks, if we can help, you head to the website. It's AnnexWealth.com. You click that Get Started button. We can review always available on demand. Spotify at the top of the hour, our Axiom newsletter, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sunday, June 4th, it's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management Show. We're going to be right back, 92.5 Fox News. Would you trust a part-time dentist? Then why would you trust a part-time fiduciary? Some financial professionals say they're a fiduciary, and they are part-time. The other portion of the time they're interacting with you, they might be serving other interests. Do yourself a favor. Ask your financial professional if they're a fiduciary all the time. Annex Wealth Management is. Drill down into your finances with the full-time fiduciary team at Annex Wealth Management. Know the difference. We're back. A couple of things you can do on the weekend. Axiom, which is our free weekly newsletter. If you're not signed up for that, it's a free sign up. Don't have to be a client at all. Comes out on Sundays. Connect with us, social media. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube with lots of Annex Wealth Management videos, over 1,500 in fact. Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast comes from the Annex Wealth Management investment team Monday mornings. If you want to dig in deep on what those guys are up to, you can check it out wherever you get your podcasts. This show is going to be on demand at the top of the hour on Spotify. I'm Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky is our chief investment officer. Before the break, we're talking about, I asked you, is there a rally going on? And you said, oh, yes, there is. Well, there has been really since October, and that's been led by the the, the large cap technology names uh, that are seen by many to be principal beneficiaries of artificial intelligence, which everybody is talking about now. I mean, in truth, artificial intelligence has been around a long time. It's just the first time that it's really been consumer facing, which is why I think so many people are excited about it. And and the one of the other options with the artificial intelligence, there, there's a thought that they that might enhance corporate productivity, which is one of the reasons why we've started to see 2024 estimates start to move higher. And that's important because the stock market looks forward. And if earnings estimates in next, for next year are starting to rise, that gives some credence to the move we see, not just in the NASDAQ, but also in the S&P 500. Does the exuberance over artificial intelligence remind you of anything in the past? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, it does remind me of, of the internet bubble, if you want to call it that. You know, I remember 
remember when Jeff Bezos was on the cover of Time Magazine in 1999 and they were talking about online retailing and the internet and all the rest. You know, everyone was in full belief that that would occur, but that stock dropped 94% in the following 18 months. And we all know Amazon has done quite well since then over, over the long haul. So you got to be careful about the valuation you pay for companies that have yet to realize profits because at the end of the day, we have to value companies based on their earnings and potential free cash flows going forward. And it's really hard to know who's really going to benefit from AI. It's not just companies that make the semiconductors that help power it or the software companies that front end it. It's also, you know, just everyday companies that actually use it to enhance their productivity, either through laying off people or having people learn to use it and become more effective in their roles. You were running a mutual fund during the internet run-up, weren't you? I, I mean, was. Were there people at that time saying, "Boy, this this you know this feels a little shaky, or this this maybe sounds a little bit too good to be true"? And if so, do you feel or do you hear any of that now? Well, I mean, what I will say about that is those that participated in the rally received big bonuses and became quote unquote investment legends. Those that fought that rally either got fired or found or started their own firm because ultimately they were proven correct in terms of the valuations. But valuation is a very, it's not a great timing tool because you can say something's expensive, but it can stay expensive for a lot longer than you think. So Kathy Wood, who runs, what is it, ARK Investment? Now she is, you know, like her, don't like her. Um, she got out of NVIDIA and miss, missed it, missed that huge upswing, and then has since gone on to say, I think it's overvalued. Well, what, that's kind of, you know, I, I know she said that, and that's kind of, to me, a defensive response. I mean, NVIDIA is an expensive stock, but many of the, the stocks that she holds in her portfolio currently are more, much more expensive than NVIDIA. At least NVIDIA makes money. Sure. What else uh, is going on that we should be of note? Well, June is t- tends to be a seasonally uh, negative month for the markets. Uh, we've had a big run. We're now discounting a lot of future growth. The S&P is trading at almost 20 time forward earnings, which is a high multiple relative to the past, particularly given where interest rates are. Uh, the Fed is likely not done hiking rates. They did say they're data dependent. We saw a strong jobs number. Um, they may skip a meeting, but they also have a meeting in July. And at the end of the day, it's about managing risk. And right now, to me, uh, T-bills at 5% versus an S&P at 20 times earnings is a pretty good spot to park some cash. The traditional inflation target has been 2%. Is that even real anymore? Well, that's what they say. Um, they may at some point say, well, maybe 2% is a little bit too onerous because, you know, China, we don't have the same relationship with them. So we're not getting low price goods in the United States. So inflation uh, may rise from that source or, or any number of others. Um you know, I just view the markets as, you know, price is truth. Right now, we have a lot of liquidity in the system. Uh, people are investing. It's a lot of short covering probably is going on the last couple of days. Uh, so, again, you know, take a look at your allocation. Your stock piece is probably outstrip your fixed income piece. Wouldn't be a bad time to rebalance. Know what you own and why you pay for it. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Thank you. Thank you. Psychology of Retirement Planning. Well. What's that all about? We're going to take a break and be back with it next on Money Talk. Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. It starts with a call. With one call, you can start seeing your future more clearly. If your financial picture is cloudy because you're getting conflicting tax, investment, and estate planning advice, help is a call or a click away. Annex Wealth Management's team works to get your investment plan in line with your tax plan and your estate plan. Build confidence with one team working to create one comprehensive plan as a fee-only fiduciary. Annex Wealth Management. One team, one plan, one fee. AnnexWealth.com. 
Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? It was drilled into our heads. Do the right thing. Put away and save money while you're working. Don't touch it. Keep building it. And it's hard to argue because that's an excellent way to build a solid nest egg to draw upon when retirement happens. But what happens when our human nature creeps in? After all, there's a psychology behind spending in retirement, and that's what we're going to talk about with Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development at CFP and a CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Well, thank you for having me. Okay, right or wrong, Deanne, we should save and invest as we go along until every day becomes a Saturday. What's wrong with that? Yes, Jenny, we should. And most people feel they are doing the right thing, putting away their money in retirement plans, plus savings, maybe even a 529 for tuition planning. The point is they're saving while they're working. They're told, don't touch it, just keep building. Then when the excitement of retirement is upon them and that dust settles, they realize they need to replace their work paycheck. Is that hard for them to grasp that? Decades, they've been seeing paychecks, and then they turn into the ones who are issuing the paycheck. And it's not coming in anymore. It's it's going out. Does that mess with our heads? I'm kind of a glass half empty guy anyway. I don't see you that way, Danny, but it does mess with our heads. It's interesting, actually. They're used to socking away for other things, like putting money away to buy a car, or even in that college tuition plan. And they know that when it's time for tuition, they pull the money out of the plan, it seems natural. They're ready to buy the car or put the down payment on the house. They just do it. But somehow, for some reason, they get the psychology of, well, I'm not working anymore, so I can't let that retirement pot of money go down at all. This is actually false. It's supposed to go down. It's supposed to fund our retirement. But there are all sorts of unknowns that play into our fears, such as, how long will I live? Could I outlive my money? How much will I need if healthcare keeps going up? And Of course, I want to have enough money to do the fun things. And we all know without doing a financial plan, this can lead someone to stress out and go into the psychology of, well, I have to have actual income coming in to offset those expenditures. Even if people have substantial assets, do you find that they get nervous about running out of money? Absolutely, they do. They go from hearing, don't touch it, to touch it, and they, they do fear running out. What they're not taking into consideration, though, there's still growth on their assets happening over time. They got the snowball in motion. They're not taking the entire thing out and putting it under a mattress, okay? So it is the power of compound interest working over the decades. Also, something, especially for women, comes into play. It's called bag lady syndrome. So <laughs> So this is the psychology. No matter where you are, how much you have, you have a fear of outlasting your assets and being a burden on your family. How hard is the fight to turn on Social Security at the right time? Do we feel that it's like, oh, 62, I, I want to get something? So I'm really glad you're bringing this up because many people then turn mentally to needing income in retirement to be able to pay their expenses when they can't get their head around, just pull from my retirement funds. So they turn on Social Security, and maybe they will turn it on right away. They retire, here they go. What they're doing is giving up the growth of their payment and what their payment would be in the future because because of their fear of not having immediate income stream. But this is exactly why they've been putting away that money, remember to pull it out, use it for expenses. This is one of the biggest, I'll say it, mistakes that we as planners can see. People turn on all their sources of income right away when they retire, not thinking about the tax consequences, their cash flow situation, not thinking about how much they really actually need and how it might impact them, and not really doing the planning period. They just turn on the cash flows and try to deal with it from there. And this is where it's really all about that math. 
And we've got tools to help. One is the, at least what I think, the inelegantly named bucket strategy. <laughs> yeah, so we like to think of expenses in two different branches or tranches, buckets, if you will. Ooh, tranche is much fancier. <laughs> the first tranche is your expenses that you have to have. So basically, I have to have these basic expenses to keep my life running. Rent, mortgage, utilities, basic food in the fridge, gas in the car, personal maintenance. The second bucket is the fun bucket, I call it, the discretionary tranche or the, hey, I want to have bucket, not I need to have. This bucket might contain travel, extra entertainment, above and beyond expenditures, those sporting season tickets, for example. Now, the two buckets, equally important. However, if you think about it, the first bucket we have no control over. We got to pay our utility bills no matter what. The second bucket, however, we can expand and contract as we wish. It's discretionary. We controlled it. That psychologically gives us more freedom, especially in that early part of retirement. It's really important if we retire into a down stock market that we feel we have some flexibility. Look at what happened with people who might have retired during the COVID lockdown of 2020. Market went down sharply. What planning can do is keep new retired people in times like that from saying, oh, gee, now I'm going to have to go out and get another job or I'll have to keep working and not be able to retire. It's about planning. It's about financial plans. And when we say financial plans, we're talking about running countless scenarios and possibilities that include a lot of projections. Absolutely. Planning makes us feel better about this bucket of money we've saved as a whole. It shows that over time, if properly invested, it keeps growing and working for us. So whatever life brings, we have a better understanding of how it impacts our money and our future. So in our last 30 seconds or so, i got to ask, should we feel guilty if in the first part of retirement we spend more? And please tell me no. <laughs> no, not at all. Just be cognizant of it. People do usually spend more in their first year or so. We call it the go-go years. So even in their first decade. But this is, again, where planning can really help out. Right there. It's about planning. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning Development, a CFP and a CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Need to reach Annex Wealth Management but want to skip the computer? No problem. Call us, 239-350-6363. 239-350-6363. Let's talk soon. Ask Annex is where we open up the mailbag and we get to people's questions. get a lot of them. You head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. If you want to be anonymous, that's fine. In fact, everybody today is anonymous. Matt Morrissey, Investment Team Manager and a CFP, joins us in the studio. Welcome. Hey, Danny. And we got Trevor Nargis, Senior Trader at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Hey, Danny. First question, were there indications that NVIDIA was going to have a huge quarter? If so, what? If not, why not? Can you set the stage on NVIDIA? Yeah, we can We can try and take a, take a swing at that. So NVIDIA has had some really good quarters as of late. So maybe that's been somewhat of the indication that they were going to have a good quarter. But as far as are they going to really blow estimates out of the water, things like that, they tend to reserve that information for earnings calls for investor events. You know, you'll see companies sometimes come out ahead of earnings and say, hey, things might not be so good to kind of help brace markets. But if they're going to beat, you tend to see things stay kind of quiet. So wasn't necessarily an indication ahead of time that things were going to be crazy. But for the recent quarter, company beat on both earnings per share and revenue. But what really drove the hype around the stock was the guidance that came from that call. So the forward-looking guidance. So our teammates, Jason Cooper and Brian Jacobson, talked about it on our SWAT podcast the other day of what that 
forward guidance kind of implied. And so they increased revenue guidance from $8 billion to $11 billion for this quarter. So what that did is that drove analyst estimates higher, as well as expectations for the future growth of earnings. So the company sees growing demand for things like their data center products, because those tend to help the processing power needed to support AI. But companies like NVIDIA tend to be valued on growth. So that guidance going much higher makes NVIDIA look a lot cheaper. Hence the reason you saw kind of the bump that you saw in the stock. Yeah, you usually don't get that big of a bounce, you know, because it's going to be a surprise or people are not expecting that much of an increase. And as you said, the last few quarters, they've really been hitting the gas in terms of, you know, how they've been talking about the company and what the future of NVIDIA looks like and how they're really in their minds going to be the center of all this new technology that's going to be coming out. So did everyone expect great things from NVIDIA? Yes. But obviously, the expectations were not high enough for what they think is actually coming today versus just that future world of what, you know, they were kind of trying to lay that groundwork. And that goes back to what our chief investment officer, Derek Felsky, was saying alongside Jason the other day when they were updating the model on NVIDIA that they updated the numbers and they just kind of went, whoa, because those estimates just went so much higher. And when the company is a growth-like company and it's valued on growth, when that growth keeps going, it makes the company look cheaper. They really yeah. own the week, didn't they? Oh, for sure. And they, you know, crossing a trillion you know, dollars from a market cap. You know, we talked to, like you said, on the SWAT podcast that came up this last week, but also I know the difference podcast as well, too. That was a big topic of conversation. Next up on Ask Annex, Memorial Day weekend barbecue argument. Shouldn't a 35-year-old investor be more concerned about growth rather than dividends? Isn't that a dad question, right? <laughs> Just read like a dad question. <laughs> well, I spent the weekend with, with some friends. You know, we're about 40 here, and that was a lot of the conversations about the markets and investing. So I certainly understand those those holiday type type conversations. You know, when I think about where you're getting the returns from your portfolio, what I think is really important is just that overall total return, which could either come from price appreciation, which is probably what they're referring to the growth side of this as, or from income or dividends. And really what I'm looking at is I really don't care where that's coming from. I want the return, the total return. Now, if you're younger, you could take more risk, which means that you could afford to have less income today and shoot for more price appreciation and either make your own dividends if you need cash. What I mean by making your own dividends is by selling shares to create cash instead of having the company send it out to you. But you're also, if you're younger, you could take the risk of that company maybe not having that growth potential sooner than later and having the stock price fall down. Because you're really, when you're not getting that income, you're relying on somebody paying more for that stock than what you paid for it. You're not getting that cash flow from the company at all. Yeah, I think the last thing I'll add is that there's not necessarily a right answer. It comes back to mm-hmm. something that Matt, you and I have talked about, and we've talked about with another Ask Annex regular, Sarah Kyle. It comes back to risk tolerance versus risk capacity. So risk tolerance being how comfortable do you feel with the potential ups and downs of your investments? So maybe growth related stocks you might have more ups and downs along the way. Dividend payers maybe tend to be a little less volatile, but then there's risk capacity, right? What can you financially actually handle? What is your ability to handle potential losses associated with risky investments? So I think it's really balancing the two of those alongside what Matt was getting at. We, uh, it's also important to remember, you could have both. Like if you look at companies like Apple and Microsoft, they're the two largest market cap companies. Their growth has been tremendous. And they also pay dividends that they're growing above market growth rates as well, too. So you are able to have both of those. And again, if you're thinking long term with that, you can also reinvest dividends yourself back into that stock and just buy more shares and keep having that compound over time. Did you guys really talk about investments uh, during your Memorial Day cookout? 
That was quite a bit of it. Yeah, <laughs> one of my friends and I, we talk quite a bit about, about the markets and what's going on. So I'm sure our wife's probably got tired of it. Totally bored. <laughs> yeah, very nice. For investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference? Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Matt Moore is the investment team manager and a CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thank you. Trevor Nargis, senior trader at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. C-suite individuals have unique needs. That's where Annex Executive comes in. We'll talk about that next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. In a recent study, over one-third of millionaires predicted their ability to feel financially secure in retirement is going to, quote, take a miracle. At Annex Wealth Management, we believe a plan, not a miracle, will help increase your retirement confidence. Our team of experts gets to work using leading-edge technology to build a comprehensive plan covering investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning. And Annex doesn't have products to push with hidden fees or commissions. There's too much of that already. Annex is a fee-only fiduciary. More planning, less miracles. Know the difference. AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Joining us, Brandon Lehman, Director of Branch Development, CFP and a Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome, Brandon. Danny, good to see you. This is a busy guy, ladies and gentlemen. He works with a variety of clients. Many tend to be executives and business owners who can tend to have specialized needs going to talk about four key discussion points and what our Annex Executive program can do for these individuals. Annex Executive exists. We don't talk about it all the time. We sure make it available to our clients when we sit down if it meets their needs. Correct. It's unique in two different ways. There's one, Annex Executive is really tailored and the tools are tailored towards that executive individual. And what I mean by that is somebody who works for a corporation in the C-suite or in that executive suite where they have a very complex compensation structure. It's not just, here's your salary, here's your bonus. There's there's different stock options. There's things called phantom stocks or stock appreciation, right? There's all these different things. So we take that into account. But then there's another side of Annex Executive that gets very little discussion externally, but we also work with certain corporations that their senior executive team, those corporations cover their financial planning fee, and we are one of the recommended firms for them for that fee to be paid. There's two areas there. The first is stock options and a need for a strategy. Kind of obvious, but important. Yeah, why that is so important. Folks who tend to be in these positions, right? Executives, C-suite folks, when you look at where they are, they've gotten where they are because they're so good at their job. A lot of time they don't have the time to devote to understanding their complex compensation structure. So it's our job to come in and one, explain it, two, guide them through it, three, understand the tax implications, how this is going to work, and how does it fit into your long-term plan? Because they're really busy doing what they do. That is an understatement for all of them, really. Brandon Lehman is Director of Branch Development, CFP, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management, joining us to talk about Annex Executive Program and how it can help business owners and executives. Annex Executive provides guidance for something called net unrealized appreciation. If you've listened to these shows for a while, I'm sure you've heard that phrase. This is important. It can be unique one-time planning opportunity. One time is key to this. In working with the team that we have here at Annex, and and I want to give a lot of credit to the team that we have, net unrealized appreciation is a complex opportunity that the IRS has given you through the 401k process or the saving you've done. It really only applies to publicly traded corporations for the most part. When you look at it for publicly traded corporations, you're looking for stock owned inside the plan. Net unrealized appreciation allows us to pull that out and utilize it and move it into a different type of tax status. It's a very complex process. You alluded to it. If you don't do it right, it's wrong. 
And we've encountered it once or twice where somebody thought they were doing the right thing in the past. They sat down with us and say, hey, we want to do this. And you look at it and go, actually, I'm sorry, you can't because there's certain gates and certain windows that have to be met to make it applicable. There's other ideas and you get really into the tax thing. And again, when you back up and you look at why Annex, and I'm throwing this out there, is because of the amazing team that we have here. Talking about tax planning, we've got to say we're not talking about getting returns done by mid-April. This is year-round tax planning. Yeah, and this is what's so important. So I want to use an analogy. There's a corporation here near our headquarters that we work very closely with. You know, We watch their stock, and the reason we watch it so close from a tax standpoint not as you know the investment team, they do their job, but from a tax standpoint is because we work with a lot of folks there who have stock options. Well, we need to know when to exercise. We need to understand the spreads. We, and then we can look at them and say, based on our analysis, let's take this and exercise now. So the complexities that go along with it, and then what we do, I want to say it's a requirement really, is they need to get us their pay stubs every quarter. We're constantly updating. This is what it looks like. Here are your options for the rest of the year. Okay. Annex Executive Program can certainly help when there's questions about deferred comp. Oh, deferred comp is one of my favorites because it's one of the ones that tends to be skipped the most, surprisingly. And it's not intentional, but I've ran into a lot of folks where they say, oh, you know what? I, I do have deferred comp. What should we do? And then we'll sit down again on the tax planning side and we can illustrate different situations about different types of deferrals. Then we look at deferral windows when is it coming in? How should we structure it? And all of those, what I call fun, right? The fun nuances to us basically just say, this is our recommendation and they can go and get it done where we do all that work. And frankly, we love it. It's complex, it's enjoyable, and you can see how it has an instant impact for clients in the long term. The clients that we work with in the Annex Executive Program, they're used to having a team behind them at their company. Same thing can happen with Annex Executive here. Oh, yeah. We talk about wealth manager and how we're structured, right? The wealth manager at Annex is that point person. I call him the quarterback. Doesn't mean we have all the answers, but behind us, we have a team of experts, which is so amazing to be able to rely on that team and utilize them to build and help all of our clients. Stock options, net unrealized appreciation, tax planning, deferred compensation, business executives, business owners. Put the Annex Executive Team to work to handle your unique financial planning needs. Brandon Lehman, Director of Branch Development, CFP, and a wealth manager, Annex Wealth Management, part of the Annex Executive Program. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny. Would you trust a part-time dentist? Then why would you trust a part-time fiduciary? Some financial professionals say they're a fiduciary, and they are part-time. The other portion of the time they're interacting with you, they might be serving other interests. Do yourself a favor. Ask your financial professional if they're a fiduciary all the time. Annex Wealth Management is. Drill down into your finances with the full-time fiduciary team at Annex Wealth Management. Know the difference. Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. Robert Chastain on the line with us. He's Branch Director, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management, Southwest Florida. Hey, Robert. Hi, Danny. How are you? Not bad. It's graduation season, and we get a piece for graduating seniors. Maybe we encourage our listeners to maybe share, hopefully start out on the right foot. There was a survey that polled a bunch of college students, over a 1,000 of them, and 61% said inflation has impacted their savings and spending habits. That's good that they're even aware of it, and they're not in this magical world where all money is free. The top three words that college students associated with their finances are broke, stressful and saving so oh wow yeah not bad 
let's talk about some good money habits. None are particularly fun. You in the audience know that saving and investing takes hard work, diligence, and patience. Robert, our first suggestion is what? Budget. There's a kind of a simple rule out there, 50, 30, 20 rule. I just go right to the 20% rule because the 50 and 30, I don't really care about. But if you can earmark 20% for your financial, say, well-being, future savings, retirement, if you can do that from the very beginning, you will be a happy, happy camper down the road. The 50-30 part of that, which is 80%, that's for have-to-haves, living expenses, cars, etc. But if you can just concentrate on that 20%, start your life right, start with good habits, and here's the other thing with your budget. Know where your money is being spent. So pay attention to that. 30% is the discretionary thing. And that's sometimes, if you do a little bit more on the discretionary side, sometimes maybe you're going to cut back a little bit on the saving side, and we want you to avoid that. Talking about tips for new graduates, how about this? You work to get paying down student debt. That's going to be a tough one. Student debt comes in all different forms, shapes, sizes, interest rates, different lenders. Here's the thing. should be part of your budget, right? Budget to get that off the balance sheet. Because if you're making payments on your student debt, you're not growing your wealth. So it's pinching from somewhere, right? If you're making those payments. You know what? You did pay for your for your education, but now let your job, which your education afforded you to get, to pay off that debt and put it behind you as soon as you can. We're with Robert Chastain, Branch Director, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management Southwest Florida. Suggestions for new college graduates, use credit cards responsibly. Ooh, that's a good one. Oh, it sure is. And you know what, Danny? I I, I was looking at a uh, budget and they had 23 credit cards. And you know what? Credit card debt creates debt slaves, which the credit card companies like because you keep them in business. It's as simple as this. If you really want something and you know you can't afford it, oh, I'll just slide it on the credit card. Just go back to layaway. Do a mental layaway that that I did as a kid. You know, I used to show up at the store, make a payment, waited till I could pay it off. But don't just throw it on on your credit card and create that high interest rate if if that's the card you have. Wait for it because typically that's a nice to have instead of a have to have. And don't create debt just to quench your retail therapy habit. Yeah, we just don't delay gratification anymore, do we? We don't, and it's causing a lot of friction. All right, so far, we've covered budgets, debt, credit card. What's next? One of the most important things is a emergency fund, because as, believe it or not, we just dropped my wife's car off at the collision shop because somebody rear-ended her. Mm. And accidents happen, you know, especially when you're sitting at a red light. Somebody can run into you and create, you know, $8,000 worth of damage with us. So it just so happens with that, Danny, we have three weeks left on a lease, and it's got to be fixed or we got to keep making monthly payments for a car that we don't even have. Luckily, we have emergency fund, and we sent it into the collision shop before our insurance worked with their insurance to cover it because we need to get that off our books. It's got to be fixed. If you don't have that fund and accidents happen and you have to resort to your credit cards or an emergency loan, those interest rates typically are not beneficial for you. These are some tips for the newly graduated. Okay, so they get employed and they've got the 401k. Hopefully they got the 401k. What about getting invested outside of that? 
as soon as you're employed and congrats on, you know, trying to, you know, your parents uh, launching you and getting you off their payroll and onto a, a beneficial payroll, take advantage of the 401k, any matching, that's free money. You got to sign up for that. That should be part of your 20% that we talked about at the very beginning. If that 20% isn't your total, make up the difference in your own brokerage account. Come to an annex. Let's do some planning. Let's get you started on the right foot, just headed in the right direction with the right plan in place. It doesn't matter how old you are. The sooner you start, the better. The last steps should be fairly easy for any college graduate because they're fairly tech-friendly. And the last suggestion we're going to make is automate your stuff. Which is very, very true. It's typically very easy for these guys. Like none of my kids carry cash, Danny. And it drives me crazy because what if what if the internet goes down or the power's out? You know, all your electronics don't work. Carry a little bit of cash. Auto, you can automate your payments, but I like to automate my savings and investing. I like to review any of my monthly expenses. And I want to prevent creep. And what do I mean by that? Prevent, oh God, we're just going to go out two more times, an extra hundred dollars. It's creeping. It's just like your home insurance or your car insurance can creep on you. You know, the the uh, total bill for that. Make sure you review all of your monthly expenses on a monthly basis to make sure that you're not going over your budget and you're keeping in line and things are on the up and up. You know, it's funny that you mentioned creep because we're after our break, we're going to talk about lifestyle creep. So, boom, you nailed it. <laughs> our website is AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Robert, how do we get a hold of you in Southwest Florida? Anybody can call me directly at 239-350-6363, and I'm happy to answer your questions. Robert Chastain, Branch Director, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management. Good stuff. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Lifestyle creep, what is it? How do you avoid it? That's next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. Cut through the clutter with Axiom, the weekly newsletter from Annex Wealth Management. Subscribe today for seven insights built and delivered to you every Sunday. It'll help you navigate the markets and the things that affect your money. The Axiom. Sign up at AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Welcome back, Amy Bremer, CFP and Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Hi, Danny. Isn't this a well-timed discussion? In a world where everything we need is going up in price, we're at a point where that kind of inflation is colliding with another type of inflation, and that is lifestyle inflation. How do we define lifestyle inflation? That's a great question, Danny. So we determine lifestyle inflation as lifestyle creep, and that's where your wage increase, so you increase your lifestyle. Maybe you upgrade to the king size super value meal, or you upgrade to the nicer level car when before you would have gotten the entry level car. So just death by a million cuts sort of things, only in relation to money. So right at the top, Amy, we're going to point out that in no way are we saying that people shouldn't enjoy themselves and the fruits of their labor. In fact, this is more of a cautionary piece for maybe younger folks or people starting out that we're going to offer up some insights that might lead to a more fulfilling future. Maybe the subtitle should be more money, more problems, yeah, right? right? Dang, that's a good one. Uh, does that happen? And to get at lifestyle inflation, do we need to challenge a status quo? Yes. So first, please let me interject here and say we are not telling folks that you must take a vow of poverty. We're not the clergy here. You know, we're regular folk working hard for our money and we should be able to enjoy it. But we want to address more the keeping up with the Joneses type mentality where, you know, the neighbors got the swimming pool. So, hey, I can get a swimming pool, too, when swimming pools are really expensive no matter where you live. So we just want to make sure that 
the lifestyle that you live doesn't exponentially increase in conjunction to the income that you earn. But it happens. It does. It happens all the time? Not all the time. Some folks have a higher propensity to that than others, and a lot of it is driven by their choice of profession. However, it's really easy to avoid it, and it's to pay yourself first. So one of the ways that I tell um, folks that I work with at Annex is when you get those annual wage increases, they're nice, you know, 3%, 4%. Sometimes if you had a better year, five or six, put half of it in your 401k because a 3% wage increase over 26 pay periods, if you get paid every other week, and then you have income tax taken out of it, which you got to pay the piper, that's not enough really to move the needle on your lifestyle. But if you put it in your 401k, that's going to do great things for your future retirement. Some people are great at the next suggestion. I'm not. It is to track your spending, make a budget, stick to it. Nobody likes to budget, do they? No, honestly, budgeting is the worst. It's not fun. And us humans, we like to have fun. But me personally, I track my expenses. So I know when I get to a certain limit that I got to stop spending for the month and I just kick it to next month. There's tons of resources online. Um, Mint.com is a great one. Annex uses something called eMoney where you can link up your credit cards and your bank accounts through your username and passwords and it tracks all of your spending. So it fills out a budget for you. It's really easy. I'm on board with this. Prioritize important expenses. Yes. So I find that if people have aspirational goals, like we're saving for a down payment on a house, or we really want to go to Europe, or we want to get married or buy that vacation home. If you have a goal that you're working towards, it's easier to sacrifice today to save for that future goal. So make a goal and have it be a fun one. Talking about lifestyle inflation or lifestyle creep with Amy Bremer, a CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. What really might help to fight that lifestyle creep is to, before spending anything else, you need to make sure that you're contributing to tax advantage accounts, right? Oh my gosh, most definitely. And those tax advantage accounts are your traditional 401k at work or 403b if you're in the private sector, a traditional IRA. And those will get you a tax break today. And then that money grows for your future. And then you just pay the taxes when you're in your retirement. And how about everybody's buddy, if you qualify for it, the HSA? Oh, I love HSAs. So those ones are triple taxed advantaged. The kicker is you have to have a high deductible health insurance plan. So check with your HR department at work to see if you have one of those available to you. But you get tax break when you put the money in. So it acts kind of like a traditional 401k on the way in. You can invest your HSA money. So all that growth comes tax-free. And then when you take the money out, whether you're working or not, and you spend that money on a qualified medical expense, it's tax-free to you too again. Yeah, it's they're pretty darn amazing. They're and awesome. You touched on this earlier, but let's talk a little bit more about it. You get a raise, you get a bonus, you invest it. Yes. And, you know, again, getting back to that, you know, we're not clergy, don't take a vow of poverty. You should enjoy the fruits of your labor. You work hard. You should have some joy from that, too. But I say put half, put half of it in your 401k. The compounding over the next 20, 30 years of your life is just exponential growth and, and your future self will be grateful for it. Do you run into lifestyle creep at every age group or every maybe asset level that we deal with at Annex Wealth Management? 
That's a great question, Danny. So I, yes, actually, there are doctors who you think would be living high on the hog that they've made tons of money and they do. But there's something called doctoritis where, you know, you make a lot of money and you spend a lot of money getting back into keeping up with the Joneses mentality. And sometimes those folks have find it difficult to retire. For investment and retirement planning, tax planning and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference. Our website is AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Start the wealth metric process. Amy Bremer, CFP and Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Danny. Take care. It starts with a call. With one call, you can start seeing your future more clearly. If your financial picture is cloudy because you're getting conflicting tax, investment, and estate planning advice, help is a call or a click away. Annex Wealth Management's team works to get your investment plan in line with your tax plan and your estate plan. Build confidence with one team working to create one comprehensive plan as a fee-only fiduciary. Annex Wealth Management. One team, one plan, one fee. AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management, not one the same. Not one of our clients' financial and retirement plans are the same because not one of our clients are the same. It's deeply personal. It's custom tailored. It's unique to you. We often talk about families in a traditional sense, dad, mom, kids. We also know not every family is traditional, and it's very true for couples who are child-free. Planning for these couples is different, and that's what we're going to talk about with Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, a CFP, and a CDFA, Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. Welcome back. Hi. Child-free is a better, kinder way of saying childless, right? For whatever reason, and most or none of our business, not every couple has children. But that doesn't mean they don't appreciate holistic financial planning. Well, sure. I like to think of it this way, Danny. There are some Some people who have heirs where it's important to have them leave their beneficiaries something to provide for them. And you know what? It doesn't matter if it's their children, nieces, nephews, friends. And there are some people who've worked hard. And while they love the people around them in their life, their goal is to make sure that they themselves are provided for. But either way, holistic financial planning is required. And by the way, there's really no right or wrong in that. You know, it's tough to pin down exactly how many Americans don't have children and don't plan on having any. Going by census estimates, about 11% of Americans, 50 and older are child-free, but recent data suggests the number may be growing. It's reasonable to assume 50 to 60 million Americans are child-free. Deanne, true or false, most, if not all, financial rules of thumb assume that you have kids. Yeah, that's true. So if we're creating a financial plan in a box, so to speak, and, and it's not customized, obviously that's not the way Annex works. But many goals that are around that traditional financial planning would include the legacy you leave after you die, not necessarily thinking about the legacy you create in your life. I think those are very different things, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. So I do believe it's true, Danny. If you take the possibility of kids out of the equation... Does the whole foundation of a financial plan change? Well, sure, it does. Because it's not so much about what you leave behind. It's about what you create in your life. You know, we all want to be relevant, right? We want to be remembered by someone or something. So this could be about what you're doing while you're still alive. Maybe creating that ongoing scholarship with your alma mater. Or maybe it's about doing what makes your soul sing and giving to charity in a way while you're alive where you can volunteer and you can really feel the goodness there. It's about something bigger than ourselves that we want to take care of. Child-free couples are not necessarily non-traditional, but are they still aiming at traditional financial landmarks like retiring at 65? 
Well, the age might change, but certainly for most people, retirement's the goal. However, we like to rephrase this and have people think about not retiring from something, but retiring to something. And, you know, throughout our retirement, our goals change as well. We don't know where we might live, for example. And in some cases with couples with kids, they might say, well, I, I want to be where my kids are. That gives a little freedom to people who don't have that concern. We're with Ann Phillips, Director of Client Learning Development, CFP and a CDFA, planning for child-free couples. What's it mean when somebody suggests to invest backwards? Ah, well, this would be true of anybody who, again, wants flexible early retirement in particular, with children or not. Now, if you're going to retire before the age when you can, without penalty, pull money from your retirement funds, then you need to consider the tax placement of your investments and make sure that you have different pots of money from a different taxation point of view and make sure that you can pull from a pot of money that won't penalize you. So for example, a lot of people might do the right behavior of paying themselves first and doing a pre-tax 401k, for example. That's great. But if you pull from an IRA before the age of 59 and a half, or in many cases, a 401k before 55, you might hit a penalty. Now, having a traditional taxable account or even a Roth that was set up earlier gives you a kind of tax freedom and flexibility to do tax advantage investing and to pull your funds penalty free if you're going to retire earlier. So again, early planning. It's never too early, right, Danny? Planning for child-free couples. Plan for long-term care. That would be huge. Yeah, I do hear from my singles and couples who are child-free periodically concerned about their own personal care as they age. And because of this, we do suggest that they consider an estate plan sooner. And in case of disability or long-term care that hits early, we like to explore the option of both of those types of insurances or hybrids. Uh, From an educational point of view, you know, people should know what the cost would be to them, but then you've got to follow the math because obviously the earlier you purchase, there's a certain break even if you're going to use it to make sure that the math works of paying the premiums as opposed to self-insuring. That's the kind of math that a financial planner can look at. You know, they also there's a concern about having that financial power of attorney and healthcare power of attorney that you can turn to if there's a problem. Having these can provide a peace of mind. Not one of our clients' financial and retirement plans are the same because not one of our clients are the same. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference? Our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Dean Phillips, Director of Client Learning Development, CFP, and a CDFA. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. In a recent study, over one-third of millionaires predicted their ability to feel financially secure in retirement is going to take a miracle. At Annex Wealth Management, we believe a plan, not a miracle, will help in Increase your retirement confidence. Our team of experts gets to work using leading-edge technology to build a comprehensive plan covering investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning. And Annex doesn't have products to push with hidden fees or commissions. There's too much of that already. More planning, less miracles. Build confidence with Annex Wealth Management. AnnexWealth.com. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Quick reminder, this show is going to be available as a podcast at the top of the hour, primarily Spotify, but wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. I'm Danny Clayton in the studio with Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist at Annex Wealth Management. Brian, let's talk a little bit about what's now down the road, because we saw the jobs number on Friday, saw the tail end of some earnings reports, the NVIDIA excitement, things like that. As a Chief Economist for Annex Wealth Management, what is it that is 
without the front windshield that you're concerned about. Yeah, I'm glad you phrased it that way because oftentimes, remember, the economic data that we get, it is about what did happen. So it's almost like a form of reporting. It's not generating anything new. Some of it can be surprising. I mean, just as an example, Friday's employment situation report, the 339,000 number, that was eye-popping, right? But then there are also all sorts of almost like uh, undercurrents and little subtexts to it that were really fascinating. If you see, uh, look at the household survey, where we get the unemployment rate from, that jumped from 3.4% to 3.7%. That's a pretty big move up. And I'm beginning to wonder, to what extent are we, to the extent that we do have an economic slowdown or a recession when we're looking out that front window, how much of that is going to be a job full recession. If you kind of remember the great financial crisis where there was this jobless recovery, so you had economic growth but high unemployment rate, can we have a job full recession instead? And I think it's possible. When I look at some of the trends in the labor market, if I were to project out from the 2015 to 2019 period, where should we be about now with population growth, economic growth? We're actually maybe close to around 4 to 4.4 million payrolls short of where we would be typically. So is that the boomers retiring? Uh, Some of that is the boomers retiring. We know from some of the surveys that have been done, about 2 million boomers took early retirement. And they're probably not going to come back into the labor force. Now, that's not to say that they can't. One of the really interesting dynamics is some people, when they go into retirement, they realize that, you know, I still do want to stay somewhat engaged with the labor force. Maybe I can do some consulting. Maybe I can work part time. So if that's an option for people, that is sometimes what they might do. But I don't believe all two million of them are coming back. As a chief economist, you have studied all of the recessions. Might this one be, if it hits, might this one be unlike any other? I believe that it will be, uh, unless, of course, it's something where we don't have a lot of really good data on, maybe something from the 1700s or something like that, yeah. right? Now, but we do have pretty good data, 1800s onwards, about what recessions looked like. There was a really interesting change in the 1980s. Before the 1980s, most recessions were driven by swings in inventory. So, you know, if you think about uh, retailers, they overstocked inventory, it wasn't as popular, it went out of fashion, and so then they kind of cut back on what, it, you know, they had to offer discounts, they didn't order as much. And so you had these big manufacturing and inventory swings. Ever since the 80s, it's more been driven by housing. So the housing sector since the 1980s has been really more of that leading economic indicator for recessions. In fact, there was a book that was written uh, about how the business cycle is the housing cycle, that they are so intertwined. Well, we know in 2022, housing was coming off of what I would say was a bubble as far as the amount of activity. Manufacturing was also suffering through a recession. So maybe we've had a roving recession, whereas in housing, then manufacturing, and now we might get some services weakness, but hopefully maybe we find some stability in manufacturing and housing to help blunt any sort of downdraft that we might get as a result of some service sector weakness. But didn't we see swings in inventory with the supply chain, right? We didn't get anything. We couldn't get anything. And then all of a sudden we had too much. Yes, absolutely. Those swings were incredible where everything was out of stock and then it was overstocked. What we've been hearing from companies that we follow, because we always listen in on all those earnings calls, is that inventory adjustment is hopefully mostly behind us. 
this, that they think that they have right-sized their inventories for even what could be a challenging economic environment. So we did have those swings. It's just that over time, retail and manufacturing had become a smaller part of the overall economy because people were spending more than on eating out and travel. What is, in the last 30 seconds, what's the next data point that we need to watch for? I think the biggest thing that I'm going to be watching is on June 13th, the inflation report. But before then, what we get on June 5th, so on Monday, is the ISM services number. Are we beginning to see any inklings of service sector weakness? Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist at Annex Wealth Management, thank you very much. Thank you. Folks, we are built as a fee-only fiduciary. We want you to know the difference. And I'll tell you, it only takes a couple of minutes to get the ball rolling. You are under no obligation. What you need to do is click that Get Started button at AnnexWealth.com. We will see you next Sunday at noon. Thanks for listening. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. The Annex Wealth Management Show is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation.